We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everyone, to another BuzzBeat podcast. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by all three co-hosts today. Lee, Spencer, and Brian hopped on Twitter spaces after the Hornets game versus the Clippers. And we were on there for close to an hour and a half. What we're going to do with that conversation is split it into two separate episodes with the second segment releasing on Wednesday. On this specific episode, you'll get a quick recap of the loss to the Clippers. We talk about P.J. Washington, LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges. We also get a couple of speaker requests who bring pretty insightful ideas as well. And then on Wednesday's episode, we chat about some trade rumors and some hypothetical trades involving the Hornets as we inch closer and closer to the trade deadline on February 10th. So let's bring on the co-host and get this episode started. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, what's up, everyone? Here in Twitter Spaces, you guys are listening to another live version of BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by all the co-hosts today as we just finished watching the game between the Hornets and the Clippers. Final score was 115-90 to uh, in favor of the Clippers. It was not a fun game to watch, but on today's pod, we will recap the game, which was not a pretty one like I mentioned. And then, as always, because we're here in Twitter spaces, we'll field any kind of comments or questions from the audience. Uh, guys, how's it going? Uh, let's, let's go to BG. How's it going, BG? Oh, pretty well. Not the most exciting game, but, uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about afternoon games so yeah. much, but, uh, this one's kind of nice. Cause it's like, uh, if they're going to play like that later in the day. I'd rather just get it out of the way and get it over with and, uh, get on, get on with the day here. But, um, but yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed a lot of different college hoops yesterday and, and earlier today. And um, unfortunately, the Hornets not quite as interesting, but yeah, doing well and uh, excited to be here. Hard to believe we're uh, approaching um, February. Season is like rapidly unwinding, you know, in uh, both college and in the NBA. 
throw this out to you, all of you guys. Are you guys cheering for a particular team that's left in the uh, NFL playoffs here? Hmm. I mean, you guys know me. I'm a small market uh, yeah. supporter. Yeah. So Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, how can you not pull for Joey Buckets and 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 yeah. the 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 Buffalo Bills would have probably would have been my team. Yeah, uh, another small market, or that's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I like Jamar Chase a lot. I haven't seen much of the Bengals this year, but I'm like, I've seen enough Jamar Chase highlights to know right. that he's pretty awesome. So, so yeah, yeah. Guys, Bengals guys are cool. unreal. I agree with BG though. I think if the Bills would have survived, Josh Allen is like. I told a few of my buddies this this week. He's like what Cam Newton was supposed to be, <laughs> like really, really dynamic arm, but kind of this not the exact same athlete, but comparable, I think. Um, and I think the Bills have like really done a good job of figuring out a way to use his legs and his physicality and his arm. I'll be curious to see how long he, because like Cam obviously had the you know an incredible apex as a player in the 2015 MVP season. He took a ton of hits. I'll just be curious to see how long Allen holds up. Like, it just, you know, what's the, the, the odometer's already pretty high on him as far as, like, it, you know, he's Buffalo's top runner and he takes a ton of hits. I, I don't know. I don't know enough to actually, like, weigh in. Um, hopefully he has, like, a, an awesome long career. But, um, you know, they, it seems like the guys that really last at that position are the ones that just, like, get it out very, very quickly. Yeah. And also don't, don't run much unless it's, like, a, you know, a QB sneak or whatever. I'm I'm down to just keep talking about the NFL playoffs. By the way, after that, <laughs> by the, by the this is better than this game that we're about to talk about. Yeah. All right, oh, right we'll we'll take us into the bad news here. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, as BG already mentioned, it was kind of a felt like a sleepy uh, Sunday afternoon for the Charlotte Hornets, who, to be fair, are missing Hayward, McDaniel's, and Ubre, which just completely chews into their guard and, and wing depth. Yeah. And the Clippers aren't missing anyone, right? No, no. Not that I can think of. So, like, as much as I felt like, you know, obviously there, there were things not to like about the Friday night win, but my takeaway from that was essentially, like, you survived – probably the best half of Russell Westbrook's career in a Lakers uniform. And you kind of just, you know, survive, survive in advance season, essentially when you've got three main guys out was kind of how I like justified the performance in my head after Friday night. And then tonight or this afternoon in a game where, I mean, frankly, the Clippers and I think BG was talking about this, like right before we went on, like, if you're not careful, the Clippers will just like throw you in a phone booth and beat you to death. I mean, they are not overly like offensively efficient or uh, flashy by any means. I mean, they played all 12 guys tonight as, as Eric Collins noted a few times in the broadcast and they're just very kind of like determined and uh, focused on like their brand of basketball that they play without their two superstars. And Ty Lue has done a fantastic job with like getting, getting a lot out of this group that has big time limitations. So I think this was just the Hornets waltzing into a Sunday afternoon game at home. Uh, and the Clippers who were on a huge road swing, just basically punched them in the mouth over and over again. Every time the Hornets cut it to, three or two or like a one or two possession mm-hmm. game. It was a Luke Kennard three. It was a Marcus Morris face up jumper. Um, it was a Brandon Boston baseline drive dunk. I mean, it was just 
over and over again, the Clippers just kept pushing the Hornets back, kept pushing them back until they blew the lead open in the fourth quarter. And then it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was over. See you later. Yeah. Give credit to the Clippers Uh, and Billy. We'll get to your speaker request here in a second uh, because they are a physical defensive team. And uh, even though the Hornets had some ugly misses, like missing wide, missing long, missing short all over the place, still give credit to the Clippers because they made Charlotte work for some of their shots. Uh, So when you combine the fact that the open shots weren't falling and then they had to work extra hard to get off some good looks, not a good combination. It's one of those things, too, with the Hornets. We always talk about how you can't let the offense affect their defense because obviously their offense is kind of what drives this team and their defense is already kind of subpar to begin with. And when you aren't making shots, you can't let that transition in secondary defense, you know, allow Clippers to get open lanes. And I thought, especially in the first half, Clippers were getting way too easy of looks with inside the paint. Billy, we will go to you for a uh, quick question or comment here, and we'll definitely uh, listen to what you have to say. Um, first off, thank you guys for uh, giving me a chance to even say anything. I hope everybody's good today. My little quick little observation is uh, it just, I don't know if I feel like everybody is not all the way bought in. It's it just, there, there are games where I'm like, this team is untouchable. The energy is on 100. Everybody's hustling. And then there are games like I feel like today, like from the beginning, I was like, feel like they're kind of just uh, just jacking shots up, kind of just, you know, going through the motions. And I feel like we, we have the talent, I know. But I'm wondering, do you think that it's like I, – I, I don't it, – it's just it's just the energy thing. I feel like there, there are times where we're, where we're on and it's like we're going to beat the crap out of this team. And then there are times where it's just like, well, if we win, we win. But if we don't, you know, on to the next. Yeah, I I think I don't think you're wrong. Like I like I had just said that in my little kind of uh, introduction rant there that it felt like the Hornets were kind of sleepwalking through this game a little bit. I mean, it's it's yeah. always disappointing when that happens, and you can kind of like you can kind of infer a vibe from this team sometimes, um, positively or negatively. The only thing I would say, not necessarily like in defense of the Hornets' performance, but just like, I, I think this is true for every NBA team. When you play 82 games, there are just going to be nights where you do not bring your, your A-plus effort. And yeah. and it, and that does happen for the Hornets here and there this season. I, obviously, having a couple of their best players out doesn't help, um, but you would, still, you would still like them to kind of like <laughs> – take uh, take every game seriously at this juncture in the season because every game is incredibly important right now uh, from a standing standpoint. And we're, standpoint. we're right there. Yeah, we're totally, right yeah. there to, to jump into the, I mean, into the top five in the East, honestly, because I, I see Brooklyn slipping down the rankings, and I feel like we're, we're going to, I hope we don't miss an opportunity. I just, you know, you, there are some teams you look at, and I, I look at, like, the veterans on some teams because, I, whether, while I know that the talent on, on, like, let's say, like the Phoenix Suns, we know that the talent on that team is, is you know, they're they're stacked. They're, you know, looking to win a championship. They've tasted what it's like to be in the finals. They know what it's like to be that close. And I also look at it like somebody like a Chris Paul, like that kind of player being on your team is not letting you sweat. Like that kind of person in your locker room at practice is challenging somebody every day. 
to, you know, be better and to fight harder. And that's just another thing. While, like you said, given that it is a long season and I know that you're not going to be able to just wake up every single game and, and bring that, but I also look at it like I wonder if if we're missing somebody that's like that, that is, which, which again, I've never seen a practice, so I can't say. Um, don't know if anybody here has, but if it, if it has that kind of like competitive, I feel like we're a very friendly team. Everybody definitely gets along with each other, but I wonder if there's that like asshole at practice that is always like making, like getting in people's head or like going the extra mile that's, that's pushing these guys to get there. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah, I, I think I think this is a good conversation. I really appreciate the question in the comments. Um, yeah, I think we've talked about the you know this season with this team. Uh, I would say that I do think they need shots to fall to fuel their defense, and I think that is a problem. Um, and I would also say that this is a very, very, very young team. And these are the kind of very natural things that happen with a young team in the NBA. I mean, this team struggled to score 0.75 point, uh, points per possession in, the half, in half-court possessions today. That is worse than bad. That's worse than worse, right? Like So, like, they never gave themselves a real chance today. But, I, I mean, I think your comment, again, is – is 100% warranted. I do think this team needs a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder more consistently. And if you listen to Borrego and his comments in between games, after practice, before games, whatever it might be, I, he understands that is that is what dictates the ceiling of this group. It is it, it, Can they manufacture a stop when they are going against adversity or experiencing a- adversity? And, I, and that's something they're not very good at. Clippers pulled them underwater today. And, and like BG said, that's what they do. They're tough. They're going to beat you up on the glass. Uh, I thought they did a really, really good job of making every single 
Charlotte drivers, see extra bodies. And the Hornets, they forced up some tough stuff today, man. So this is a good – I like this loss for Charlotte because I think this is a good wake-up call, mirror in your face. You know, this is not a very good L.A. team. They just got beat up by and, – and, you know, to your point, Billy, I mean, this is a team that's in Charlotte's going to the playoffs. So you can get swept when you react to adversity like this. Yeah, I think um, – and look, like, salute to Ty Lue, his coaching staff – yeah, they clearly have built a type of culture there, right? Tough-minded, win with defense. They're long and physical and switchy um, most of the time. I think that gave Charlotte um, some issues. And, uh, yeah, just like they, they brought this game into the mud and, and Charlotte couldn't hit enough threes to sort of, like, get them out of the mud and, and keep it going. Even when this game was close, I actually felt like Charlotte was playing pretty well until – the end of the third quarter and in those first couple of minutes of the fourth quarter when LaMelo was on the bench and then things just completely, completely unraveled. But when it was going back and forth, I actually kind of felt good for Charlotte. I was like, look, they, they haven't even started hitting shots yet. Like once they do this, they can, they can really, this game's like right there for the taking. And then the end of the third quarter, bad start of the fourth quarter, worse. Um, you know, I do think the guy, I think you're hoping Rozier could be the guy that could be the, that could hold everybody accountable and get in people's faces and do that. And I think that's why you bring a guy like that in. That's why it's part of the extension is, is there for that, you know, Terry to, to obviously to, to be a shooter and a score for them, but to also take on a leadership role. And I think he's able to do that, but you know, we know Rozier's not like a, a stopper defensively either. So maybe it's a little bit tougher to hold, you know, everybody accountable and on a, possession-by-possession possession basis. It does seem like Bridges is trying to take on that role. We've talked mm-hmm. about that before. You can see him. He was, like, visibly frustrated during this game. The mics picked him up multiple times. Some of that was the officiating. I think some he, ended, he ended up getting attacked, too. From- exactly. Exactly. And, I, I mean, I think, like, I think, the, I mean, I think ultimately you'd like the hope for, for LaMelo to be that guy, right, to, like, take on the, the, the point God mentality and, and, and be the one that, like, the ball's in his hands on every possession, and and you know, the team's following him. But it's like a it's a leadership thing as well. He's still just twenty. Spencer's point about youth; it's a big deal with this roster. But I think Bridges is like a, a good bet to possibly get there too. Like he's tough minded. They brought this up on a couple of broadcasts recently, but it's like Tom Izzo describes him as what a blue collar superstar. I think that's maybe the kind of guy that could be the, the could be a player that you got to fall in line with. But that also means like. You know, Bridges putting, you know, printing complete two-way performances every single night. You know, as as awesome as Miles has been, like a borderline all-star this year. Um, and I think there are some flashes defensively. It's like, you know, he, he doesn't just like lord over every possession of the game, obviously. And so, I don't know, tough, tough loss today. But I think Spencer's right. There's some, you can, this can be sort of a bit of a wake-up call. And there's no need to get down on yourself because the next three games yeah. are, are huge games as far as, like, Eastern Conference seating and positioning goes. So, like, yeah, just take whatever positives you can get from this. Hopefully you get some guys back healthy. Um, looks like Ubre could be back hopefully soon, according to James Borrego after practice yesterday and uh, the front of the mask that Kelly Ubre was wearing on the bench today, <laughs> which said back soon on it. So um, that's an interesting way to, to get the message out to the people. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I we've, we've talked on this 
plenty. I think you could see this some during the loss to the Lakers, or pardon me, the, the win over the Lakers on Friday, but just like they miss Hayward's offensive presence too. You know, like they, the guy that can just help you organize in the half court, he can pass, he can score from every level of the court, takes tough defensive assignments. He's a matchup beater. He's a screener. Um, you know, Bridges can do a lot of that stuff too, but it's great that when you can play those guys together and you, you can't when Gordon Hayward um, isn't there. So I don't know. Do you guys want to touch on any, any other like, uh, like there's some, there's maybe some lineup stuff we could touch on a little bit from the Friday night game and uh, and tonight too. Like maybe as far as like book night getting involved in the game, he's the first sub off the bench, like seven minutes into the game tonight. And they even played for the first time this season, LaMelo, Rozier, and book night together, which they had not done previously. We saw some miles at center, but you're just seeing Charlotte and Brago and trying to have to like dip into the bag of possible lineup combinations when not only are they missing like three rotation players, but three guys that are the like hybrid forwards for them. The one thing about book night and I, it's been awesome to see him get minutes and, and kind of nudge his way into the rotation here. Offensively, we've seen how dangerous he is and how effective he can be as a driver. I do think that he's got to speed his game up. He he has a he has a habit of catching, stopping, mm-hmm. looking, and you and now you're at three Mississippi, and you're like, that's not how this offense operates. So, and <laughs> yeah. and I think and I think he'll you know he's he's going to get there, but that's the one thing I really think is holding him back right now. And we've seen a lot of great stuff. On, I think on both ends really from Book Knight, but he he needs to speed his game up a little bit, especially as like the ancillary off guard who needs to keep the offense humming. Um, and and, and it, maybe it's a glimpse into a little bit of why it's taken him so long to get into the rotation, because when the ball moves for Charlotte, it really moves as good as any team in this league. And right now I just, he's just a step slow in that area. Hard to agree. His best possession tonight, in my opinion, was the first bucket he had where it's like LaMelo bridges, two man game in the middle uh, Bridges caves in the defense, right? You know, like all of a sudden there's, there's, you know, three or four guys, clippers in the paint. He kicks it out to LaMelo. LaMelo pings it to his right book night drives and get, gets the end one. And like, that's the stuff you just love to see more of, right? Like not the catch, hold it for a one and a half seconds. At that point, the advantage is killed. You know, even the three that he hit, early in this game was another one where he, he hesitated. He didn't want to shoot it. Yeah. He didn't want to take it. He thought it was like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? It was like, buddy, you're in the corner and open, like get, like, get that, get that thing in the air, man. But yeah, great, like great point. Again, I think it's a little, the processing is a little slow right now. And I mean, I did like to, like Spencer said, I could definitely see that being part of the reason a, why maybe he hasn't seen as much time so far this year, but also why these reps are valuable for him. They matter. They, they count towards something getting to like be on the court against live real NBA action with guys that are in the rotation um, and just getting to like, sort of like be a part of the offensive system and flow for the Hornets. It's, it's it, that there's value there. To me though, like book has actually been more positive than I thought he would have been just in general speaking. I think his driving ability has been good. Spencer's point and to your point, Brian, like he's got to make those decisions a little bit quicker within the flow of the offense. And I, I think just everyone was, you know, hesitant shooting the ball tonight in terms of the, the shooting percentages. And, 
you know, Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball were really the only two players that were able to collapse the defense. And, you know, we've seen that ability with Miles driving and collapsing and maneuvering around screeners and splitting doubles and all that type of stuff. Uh, LaMelo had that same effect as Miles collapsing the defense with the way he can weave in and out uh, of traffic and, and pass teammates open. So with the shots not falling tonight, I, I thought Miles and Ball did a great job of creating looks for others. And James Booknight has just got to be one of those players that is ready to shoot the ball or make a decision and drive to uh, the bucket. But overall, just generally speaking, I think that Booknight has had a more positive impact than I probably thought he would have had uh, considering all the time that he has seen either at the end of the bench or in Greensboro. Yeah, I uh, was just kind of hit really quickly. Brian kind of mentioned like, lineup stuff. And, and I'll preface this by saying two things. One, you know, JB has been dealt a tough hand here from a lineup configuration standpoint, because of what I think it was what Brian also just said. It's like, it's not that you're missing three guys. You're also missing three guys that have a ton of overlap together in kind of the, the lineups that Brego does like to throw out there. You know, also, I think we have rightfully, come to the defense of Borrego a lot on this show and like generally the job he has done. And, and I don't think you'd have to search very far to, to know my thoughts and opinions on, on how good of a job he's done. I did think there was some weird uh, rotation stuff today. I mean, I thought, I mean, number one, as awesome as Ish was on Friday night, he was equally as horrible tonight. And I think like when you play the Ish Smith card, it's normally – fairly obvious whether it's been the right card to play or not. And I thought he kind of like kept trying it a little too much. And again, I know he's limited. Like, who do you go to? Do you go back to book? Do you, do you put Cody Martin right back in after, you know, and he played like 39 minutes tonight. So I get it's tough. And then, and then he tried this kind of weird four guard lineup two different times yeah, in the game yeah. where it was, it was book ish Rozier and Martin one time paired with PJ one time paired with Plumley, and I mean I don't have the advanced statistics here but I can tell you those lineups did not perform well from a net rating standpoint so again like tough hand to be dealt from a personnel standpoint but I thought some of the some and, and I would have liked to see PJ more tonight honestly I mean he played 20 minutes he didn't shoot the ball well he had a better first half than he did second half um, but I do think there are times where, like, it's okay to pay, pay, play P.J. Washington like 28 or 30 minutes, and we, we haven't seen that a ton over the last couple months. I've been asking for that all season. Like, even when P.J. was, was hurt earlier this year, it was like I remember saying on the, the podcast, like, they need to get this guy back ASAP because of what he does for – I love – Spencer throws this term around a lot, but for, small, for Charlotte's small ball ecosystem – and PJ is is a, is a super important piece for that. But I also was saying, like, when he does come back, can you please play him above 20 minutes per game, like 22 minutes per game? I, I get – I can certainly, like, understand some of the reasoning behind, like, there being somewhat of a cap there, whether that's, like, you know, intentional or not. But, yeah, I just think it's, like, you got to – you got to have him on the – you got to have him on the court more – you know, he's not shot the ball great recently. It did look like tonight for a second there, he might get hot. He even took a little heat check three off a, off like a pitch handoff play from uh, ish that, 
that went crying. And then I don't know if like PJ made a shot after, after that, unfortunately. But yeah, I would just, I would like to see, I would like to see more of it um, myself. I also didn't think he had like a great defensive game individual. PJ, that is, didn't have like a great defensive game individually against the Lakers on Friday. Like, like inexplicably gave up a couple of drives to the hoop where like, he was trying to like funnel a guy, but was giving up too much space and guys went straight to the rim. He did have a nice block against Westbrook late in the game that led to a, a Cody Martin uh, transition finish. But I would just like to see more of it, the, you know, more of it too, because I, I think he's like, he's their, I think he's their best option there. But, um, and even uh, now that we're just kicking around lineup stuff, I do want to throw this out. Like against the Lakers on Friday, you, I think we finally saw, the most we've seen only bits and pieces of it this season, but you, we got um, Bridges at the three, PJ at the four, Plumley at the five. I don't think there was any of that today, um, but you, you know, as we'll see with Ubre and, and Hayward and McDaniel's, like maybe we'll see a little bit more of that, or maybe they'll get to more of it later in the season. But that's just been another little like lineup configuration we've seen we've seen recently. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think that we do need to see more of P.J. Washington, and that is one way to get P.J. Washington on the court a little bit more. We've mentioned this before, just play him as the four and maybe Plumley at the five, and it doesn't help that Mason Plumley is kind of trending upwards right now in terms of you know creating extra possessions for this team. He had a steal yeah. in the backcourt. He's crashing the offensive glass. He's diving for uh, loose balls on the floor, and he's doing pretty good with his passing on the offensive side of the court. Let's go to Evan, and then if you guys have any final thoughts on this game, we'll get to it as well. But I, I don't have any other kind of parting thoughts here. But uh, Evan, go ahead. Hey guys, so, like coming to you guys a lot after a lot more after a win than a game like today. <laughs> today, I mean, on a macro level, coming into the game, I thought it would have been. I mean, it would have been a nice one to have, especially with uh, the schedule we got coming up. We do have a couple of, of tough games. We have Boston, Miami, Toronto, all you know tough Eastern Conference games that I'm not. I'm not extremely confident about it. Hopefully we can pull one or two out. A um, couple things. You guys are a lot higher on, on PJ than I am. Uh, I, and I love five foul PJ. Give me, if you can give me five foul PJ every day of the week, I, give me PJ with five fouls. So that's when I think he plays his best ball. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I see the value with him, you know, in terms of the small ball and the piece of the small ball ecosystem. But I just feel like, I, I don't know, something about the guy and, and, and I think I'm harsh on him, but like just seeing him not put the ball up at the end of the third quarter. And I know that that's yeah. nitpicking, and, but just like, come on, man, you're down eight points. The, the game is, you know, in the, in the blink of an eye, it went from a two point game to an eight point game. There's, that's a half court. That's not even a full court shot. That's a half court shot. Like, you know, th- those types of things rub, rub me the wrong way with PJ. Um, and then overall, I thought, you know, today's effort was, was not there just in terms of, they. I think they left their, Offensive issues affect him too much on defense. I thought there was way too many easy baskets. Uh, first line of defense was getting broken down way too easy. Um, I really, you know, wasn't that impressed by anybody today. But like, like you guys just touched on it. I think for all the hate that Plum Dog gets, he he's out there giving it his all every game. So I, I do think that you know a lot of Hornets fans were tough on Plum Dog. Um, but I, I do think like games like today, I kind of do appreciate him. And he did some you know, his passing as well. He did some nice passes from that low post. So. I hope to talk to you guys after uh, after I went on Wednesday or whenever the next uh, race is. But uh, 
hopefully a better effort than today. I will say that that irked me too when he didn't take that that last second shot. So instead of going two of nine, he could have gone two for ten. So it it, it still would have been a poor percentage here, PJ. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. I will say this, Spencer, and I'll, I'll pass it to you. Yeah. One thing that if PJ Washington is probably the name that's kind of floated around the most with this Charlotte roster. If you lose PJ Washington on this team and, and not that he showed it tonight, you're, you, you're losing your only like big guy, I guess miles to an extent, but big guy that can shoot threes. So like when you got PJ off this roster, you do not have a stretch five. And I think that mm-hmm. he, at least in theory helps this team. Well, I would say to Evan's comment about PJ Washington, I, you know, I think that him being drafted by Charlotte was a, enormous win for his career because this team has not had a center for a while. And I think it's given him an opportunity to make his own identity. Uh, and it's also what the team needed. I mean, I think that anybody that signs him in for agency or trade for him or whatever is going to see him as, yeah, we can play him at four, but he's primarily a, a small ball five. That's what he is. That's his role in the NBA. So, you know, good for PJ Washington's career. I don't disagree with everything you said. Evan. I, I mean, I, Yes, I think we're high on P.J. Washington on this pod, but I, I probably tend to think he's more um, expendable maybe <clears throat> than some others. I, I just – I think he generally has a somewhat of a low ceiling, at least at least how Hornets fans think about him as, a, as an overall player. But, again, and Brian brought this up earlier, he feeds so much of what the Hornets like to do. Like their, their offensive ecosystem, P.J. Washington makes so much of that – possible right and that's really important so yeah i mean just some general thoughts about pj i I, you know what you brought up about Plumlee, i think is a good point he does play really hard the guy's just so freaking limited it's it it can be hard to watch at times but he really does he really he leaves it out there you got to give that to Plumlee. he just doesn't he the thing you have to credit him for is like he doesn't try to really i mean maybe the occasional like wayward pass or whatever but like he plays this role. Like he plays within his skill set. He's like a self-aware player. I think for the most part, he's just a little probably overtaxed as like, um, and I mean, I know he and PJ have this dynamic where PJ can come off the bench and then close the games or bridges can close the games or whatever, but it's like, he's limited offensively. And I think the Clippers, this happened when Charlotte was out West earlier in the year. I think has have been as aggressive as any as, as any team in the league just being like, buddy, do whatever you want on offense. Like catch it on the roll. We dare you to shoot. Like dare you to shoot. Yeah, I just think they've been, I think Lou and his staff have been uh willing to just say cede the floor to him. Um and he just can't there's just no great way for him to punish him. He could shoot more floaters, they could try more handoff stuff, but um, you know, that that's maybe not ideal either. And then Spencer's brought this up about PJ before, and I feel I, I agree with him, even as someone that is that that quite likes PJ as a, as a playmaker. It feels like the, the playmaking in the middle of the floor playmaking is stagnated. I think the ideal version of PJ is someone that allows you to do handoffs and you can occasionally run some offense through and he can attack a closeout and he can, he can post up a switch and he can catch a lob on the pick and roll. And right now it's just like, all it is is above the break three point shooting. And so like, it's not surprising when there are stretches where PJ, 
you're like, wow, man, I feel like he hasn't had like a good game in, a, in like three or four games because it's like he's taking one of the lowest percentage shots on the court, right? Like yeah, above the break three. Now, a lot of them are open. You know, they're off the catch and stuff. But it's just like when that is like two-thirds of your offense, or if, if not like more, then it can be kind of tough to be like a, like a just reliably efficient offensive player night in, night out over the course of an 82-game season, like for sure. And, it, and still even him – being like unafraid to go out there and take those shots. It does a lot for the, the Hornets in the half court, but it can leave him on an Island. I think occasionally, and it's why though I like to like harp on when his defense is good or why it really like irks me when like on Friday night where I thought the defense was, was like not great from PJ. Cause it's like, okay, you're a little limited offensively. You're really not doing much other than just like bombing catch and shoot threes that's fine, but you got to give the defense. The, guy, the defense has got to be there then too. And, and when it's not there, then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, it's a like a, a three and a half D center. Like it's not, it's not ideal. So I really like PJ a lot as a player. My New Year's resolution for him was I wanted better finishing inside the rim. Maybe modest improvements. Richie, you you, you pulled up some of those numbers on the Buzzbeat account uh, like a week or so ago. But, like, I'd like to see more closeout attacking. Like, where's the post game? Like, that's just gone completely by the wayside. It's, it's and, a great um, point, yeah. And, like, and, and I, like, I think he has ability as a passer and, like, a handoff guy. You just – you only see it but every so often, right? Like, he really is just – like, they use him like Marvin Williams. It's just like – A trailer, you know, yeah. Above, above the break, like, three-point shooter, pick-and-pop guy. Um, and, but like, you know, that's, that's it. And like, he's good in that role. Like he's really good. It's a very valuable thing to have, but it, it does seem like you're leaving some meat on the bone in terms of like what his all around skill is offensively. Yeah. It, it, that is a really, really good point, BG. I mean, I think, yeah, he is, he's primarily a pick and pop above the break three or corner three guy. And I do think like LaMelo playing the pick and roll with Hayward, LaMelo playing the pick and roll with Miles or invert those, you know, like all that's eating into his chances. Right. But they don't do it at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, yep. it, I've really thought about it from that standpoint in a while. And it, yeah, it is interesting. I, I hadn't either, but like now that BG's saying it, it's something that has been in my head. I just have it like verbal, like he looks very hesitant to even put the ball on the floor more than one or two times. Now, I mean, you can yeah. see like when PJ catches it, if it's not, and, and, and to give him credit, like he has become a much more decisive and confident jump shooter, but if it's not an immediate decision to fire away, it's kind of like, Oh, I got to find somebody here. And yeah. It, yeah. it has like, it has definitely stunted his development, at least from like a, um, like a more general offensive standpoint. I think it's, yeah, very well laid out, BG. There's this one game from late last season that sticks out in my head. They were playing, it was in April, I think. They were playing up against, uh, they are playing New York at MSG. And uh, Bridges had an off, Bridges was really fun this game. But PJ twice in this game had, like the Hornets ran horns. You know, I think Bridges probably, Bridges or Zeller, you know, dove to the basket. PJ popped. And like caught it. There was a hard close from probably Randall or whatever. And PJ like caught, like dipped the back foot and then boom, went to the hoop. And like, I keep, every time I like think about him, I, I, I keep visualizing that in my head. And I just haven't seen enough of that. I just think it's, I think it's something I'd like to get into a little bit more. Like I'd like to see this guy who forces hard closeouts 
makes you close all the way out. Like you, you got to be able to do, to do something with that outside of the shot because like, you know, he's a great above the break three point shooter for his career. He's probably in the high thirties, but it's just like, you know, if you take five of those a night, you might make two and that's cool. Or you know, might make zero, you know, and then all of a sudden, then it's like there's just no other source of, of scoring for him, like unless he just, just like stumbles into transition or you know gets fouled on a putback or something like that. So, you know, I'd be but, but a good point by Spencer to say like, or or maybe Leah, one of you guys brought it up, like some of the two man stuff with Lamelo and Hayward, Lamelo and Bridges. That's probably you know, eaten a little bit into sort of like the spread, the spread, you know, spread for two man playmaking uh, with PJ. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation here. We're going to stop the conversation from Twitter spaces right here. We were hoping to put this into one episode, but because it ran so long, it ended up being close to an hour, 20 hour and a half. We're going to split this up into digestible, manageable podcasts. So hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to us, learn something on this podcast. And then for my trade people out there, the people that love the trade rumors and the hypotheticals, we have a new episode releasing in two days from now on Wednesday where we throw around a couple of names. We make some hypothetical trade talks. We talk about specific uh, players and centers that the Hornets could potentially target. And then at the end of it all, we just kind of give our quick answer of whether or not we think the Hornets will make a trade uh, when it all is said and done. So thanks again for tuning in to BuzzBeat. We appreciate your support so much. And I know we said it time and time again, the best way to support us. And if you want to know how is to get on Apple Podcasts, to get on Spotify, give us that five-star rating and review We are really, really close to 150 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think we're a couple away, so we would love to see that number. I know it's just an arbitrary number, but we'd love to see it at 150. So we will see you guys on Wednesday, and have a good Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.